<laughs> a history of comedy. It's several chats. A history of comedy. Come and have a rummage in the archive. A history of comedy. It's several chats. A history of comedy. Come and have a rummage in the archive. Hello and welcome to another episode of A History of Comedy in Several Objects, a podcast from the University of Kent about the British stand-up comedy archive, which exists to preserve all kinds of interesting items relating to the history and form of stand-up comedy. And uh, the idea of this podcast is that in each episode we pick just one item from the archive and discuss it in detail And in the course of doing so, we hope to reveal interesting things about the nature of stand-up comedy. I'm Ollie Double. Uh, This is my colleague, Elspeth Miller. And we are very much the Jeanette and Ian Cranky of comedy archiving. I know who the Cranky... Well, I kind of know who the Crankies are. I can see them in my head. So that's something, isn't it? Yeah, I think if you you look at a mirror and say the Crankies five (laughs) times, they will actually appear behind you. They were a double act. I don't really know much about them, um, except that obviously Jeanette played little Jimmy Cranky, yeah. a little naughty schoolboy. And it was very funny, I think, you know, for, for, you know, as a sort of traditional double act goes. And Ian played the sort of authority figure, sort of looked after naughty little Jimmy Cranky. <laughs> <laughs> Given that they were husband and wife, you know, I mean, much comment, much hilarity has been made out of the fact that they were married, but they were playing, you know, an adult and a child mm-hmm. of the opposite sex kind of thing. A lot of people have made much of that comic potential, but uh, what they do in their own lives is is up to them, I think. (laughs) I Um, feel like I'm learning a lot about double acts. It's like like it's going to be a test at the end of our recording sessions. Yeah, double acts is quite an interesting area, actually, because I think double acts really differ, really vary a lot. I mean, for a start, you can have female-female double acts. There are quite a lot of those going back through history. Obviously, a lot of male-male ones. There are a fair number of female-male ones. Um, in addition to that, you get, like, when I was a child, the two big double acts were Morecambe and Wise and the two Ronnies. There were others around, but they were the two really big ones. Morecambe and Wise had been performing together since children, since being children on these variety tours. They were put together, you know, it was suggested, I think, by Eric's mother. Um, I can't remember her first name, but Bartholomew, Bartholomew was his actual surname. Um, and uh, I think she suggested that that Ernie and Eric should should pair up, and uh, so they they worked variety for decades, really, and and you know panto and things, and then they got on telly and and things like that. Whereas the two Ronnies was completely different; they were sort of put together really by telly. So um, Ronnie Barker had been a, a character actor, a very good character actor as well, actually. And uh, Ronnie Corbett had been um, a, a comedian. You know, he'd appeared in in sort of late night cabaret in London and things like that and I think they'd been put together for one of those 60s satire programmes like the Frost Report and it had been noticed that they kind of worked quite well together there was good physical contrast between the two and they became this enormous act but they weren't really an act like Morecambe and Wise were and I think you can find lots of examples of that you know where people have kind of come together through a as it were, a marriage of convenience. You know, it's just somebody's noticed, oh, you two work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, as I say, the other ones, it's been like, well, they, they, they were friends and they decided to put an act together and they worked together all the way through. I mean, French and Sorders would be another yeah. one like that. Although I don't think they work as a, as a double act anymore. But, I mean, they did for a long time. And that started, you know, when they started doing the... Well, effectively, it started when they started doing the comic strip together. They, you know, one of the most important um, 
double acts of, well, probably the most important double act of their generation. So, yeah. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that today. <laughs> That's all a bit of a sidebar to the fact that we're here to talk about Josie Lol. This is a slightly different format for the show this time round. We've done one episode so far that had a, a specifically done interview as at the heart of it, the Mark Thomas episode. But in that one, we chopped the interview up and sort of talked about it in between and sort of let the story unfold in a slightly complicated way. With this one, we're going to have the interview all in one chunk. Can you can you tell me which where where you did the interview? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great questioning. Uh, <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, uh, it was it, Josie was appearing at a show at the Marlow Theatre, Canterbury. It's her latest show, Something Better. And you've given us a nice little program. Indeed, she's going to go into your collection because it's part of your yeah kind of comedy experience. Yeah, as a punter and a mm. fan, I I um I got a copy of I kept my copy of the the little fanzine slash program uh, with typical sort of cartoony drawings and hand hand lettered um, sort of uh, writing. It's the official show program showgram. Right. Brackets, which I quite like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it, the show took place on the 1st of February 2017. Uh, it was in the studio of the Marlowe Theatre. The Marlowe's, the main house, is a big auditorium. The studio is an intimate and lovely auditorium with about, I think, 150 seats. The show, Something Better, was superb. I've seen it a couple of times. I saw a warm-up gig in Margate uh, last year and obviously saw, saw it this one as well. And it's a very political show. It's you know highly re- recommended. But one thing that I should say is that, as I say, she was in the studio, and in the main house was a touring adaptation of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. And while we were doing the interview, we kept getting the backstage announcements through the PA, and I thought I'd leave them in to the edit <laughs> of the interview because her reactions to those are quite funny. So the interview begins with, um, well, uh, the first thing is, because we were doing the interview outside of the uh, university library where the archive material is kept, it meant taking the object out of the archive. So uh, what, what are the kind of technical concerns of that? Um, well, we, re- we do rarely take material out ourselves. Um, we obviously loan material, particularly artwork from the cartoon archive, collections to external organisations, um, often for kind of exhibitions that they're putting on. So when we have that sort of request, we um, there's a whole procedure that we go through, kind of a loan agreement procedure, um, and we kind of each have responsibilities as part of that relationship. Um, so the venue that we're lending to has to meet certain environmental conditions, security and handling conditions. Um, so that process is quite kind of ironed out and fine for kind of external loans but as I say we do we rarely take material out for kind of show and tells often we might do that around the university so the main concern really is to ensure that the material is safe and secure so packaged properly this is the second time there's like talk of bubble wrap I think on this podcast so we don't (laughs) as I say we don't (laughs) store our material in bubble wrap but as a uh, transportation aid we do we do sometimes use it for extra packaging um, but we wouldn't keep material in bubble wrap. That would be really bad archiving, obviously. Um, and also just make sure that the, the item is always accompanied in a way. So normally that would be a member of the archive staff or special collections staff, but you are a trusted 
colleague <laughs> and we're happy for you to accompany um, material outside of the library. So, yeah, and go back to the bubble wrap. This was double bubble wrap. It was, and it also had a special art case, actually, didn't it? Did I put it in also, an art case? It also had a special art case. Yeah. It did. And what we do is, we, I've edited out the bit where we were unwrapping it from the double bubble wrap because it was very <laughs> noisy and quite lengthy. And so we join the interview uh, as the item has just been set free from its double bubble wrap hull. Edit. It makes me feel like it's a Sotheby's. Well, it's an artifact. It's a <laughs> this is genuinely... That's silly. No, it's a priceless artifact. <laughs> it is priceless in a way. It is. Because no one would put a price on it. Oh, wow, and it's in it's a, a special It's in a document order. case, yeah. Oh, this... So if somebody ordered it out of the archive, it would come out of that? It probably would, yeah. <laughs> So, tell us what this is. What this is, is this is my notebook from 2006, uh, from the first time I did a solo stand-up show. Oh, and the front cover's all come off. Uh, And basically, the start of my show was a routine about, that was pictures, where I would, it was just little things that I liked. And so I would do illustrated pictures to kind of describe the little things I liked. Um, so um, the, the front one. Uh, the first one is when bus drivers stop to talk to each other, <laughs> and, and I it... did a collage where, where I just collaged a little picture of Gillian Anderson waving out of the bus <laughs> on it. So that was a thing I could refer to, <laughs> and also I could hold it and like mind the conversation between the two bus drivers. <laughs> Oh, and then there's a guy on one of them who looks really annoyed that it's late. And also the room that I did the show in was so small that people could genuinely see the details. Of well, I think I saw that show. Because I think I saw it at the Whitstable Horsebridge. Oh, I think, yeah, yeah. I think that's the first time I saw, saw you. Oh, really? Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I don't want this to sound sort of all kind of fanboy, but it was one of those things where, like, say the band, come across a band that you, that you never come across and you go... I'm into these guys. Oh, I want all their records now. And oh. they totally. And and it was it was that for me the thing was because you were saying it's things you like. And what was interesting for me was that that stand ups often based on cynicism. Yeah. And you were the opposite, explicitly the opposite of that. Yeah. And that was such an interesting thing to see. Oh, thank you. I really set out to write a show with that as my premise. Like I wanted to write something that was positive and joyful and focusing on that. And um, and it's funny recently because obviously like well not obviously but like politically things have been so difficult and uh, I've been trying to write shows the last kind of six years on and off about politics and so it's been almost the opposite I think to lots of I feel like lots of comedians start out angry and then they have kids all fall in love and they're like my show about love whereas I was like started out feeling fine and now I feel like I'm trying so hard to be joyful. Whereas I think, also this this is very innocent to me. It was like a very innocent time for me because it was before I received a lot of abuse online. So I sort of look at it and I'm like, oh, it's such a pure heart. <laughs> so this is um, when you see a man changing through a car window. Oh, this one is then. Um, this is when you see old signs from the past painted on the side of a building. And I used to be like, what are you trying to tell us? <laughs> yeah, I remember that bit so well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Oh, this, um, and then this is about when people say their quiz is world famous. <laughs> it's just in a pub. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> it is not world famous. No one has heard of it. 
Um, but, but I mean, there's something quite interesting there because the way you've drawn that mm. is pretty much in the style of what you get in the pub. In the pub, yeah. Because it's homemade. Yeah. And one of the reasons that I wanted you to talk about this object in particular is because it seemed to me that the the idea of what you were trying to do with your comedy and the way you were doing it with this homemade pad, it's not like a PowerPoint or something professional yeah. looking. It's very much sort of homemade. Yeah, I wanted it to feel small and... Uh, like in the show itself I talked about how amateurish could mean really kind of shoddily put together but it also comes from the verb of love and it's about with heart and with love and stuff like that and I, I wanted it to feel very human and authentic And but also I didn't even have that level of remove it just was because I was just making my stuff as best I could and this was <laughs> as best as I could do it but also it was like a small room and, and I think it kind of represents my style as a person because I'm not somebody who wants to be a big slick person I don't want a big slick management agency or a big slick approach to this it's something that I really want to keep kind of uh real and and also like the things that I was influenced by and I talked about in the show were like DIY culture and like that idea of like the homemade aesthetic being like a it's really connected to you in a really quick, vital way. And that it's not like, it's what you want done as quickly as possible in your own way. Can I pick you up on that? Because yeah. there was an article, which I know you'll be familiar with, that came out nearly 10 years ago now. Oh no, so, it's so long ago. <laughs> DIY comedy. Yeah. Which was in The Guardian, Lafay nearly DIY'd. And it, it has you as the sort of figurehead of a, of a wave of comedy. <laughs> Um, I mean, do you think how much do you think that was a thing? You know, that there was you and there were other people who were pursuing a different approach, perhaps to stand up. That was a bit more sort of um, artsy, kind of DIY. Yeah, I think it is true. I think it. I think it was broader than that. I think it was like people like Robin Ince started up this club called the Book Club, which was really unashamed in its intellectualism and silliness and. Uh, pappies who were doing shows that were similarly like big handmade props and a very kind of fun, silly, playful aesthetic and Easy City as well, like making stuff like that. And I think there were a group of us and I do think what we were trying to do was open up more space on the circuit because when I first started it was like, you need to do the clubs, you're dying at the clubs, you must be doing it wrong. Whereas like now it does feel like there's so much more diversity and I feel like it was partly down to like people 10 years ago trying really hard to force it a little bit and create more space and we did all run our own club nights and try and build up our own stuff you know um, and one of the things we've got in the in the archive is we've got quite a lot of things to do with the very early days of alternative comedy so wow. we've, yeah we've got like unpublished recordings of um, uh, the alternative cabaret at the Elm wow and, cool yeah amazing and we've got a big scrapbook that Arnold Brown's sister made for him and we've got um, you know a, t- a videotape of Jim Barclay in early 1980 and things like this wow. do you think I mean do you think because I think that you were almost like a new wave of alternative comedy oh my god I wish that had reflected in our fortunes. <laughs> I don't mean that. I, I, I don't know. I think there's always a continuum. I think there's always exciting people doing exciting things. And I think that even though I think when we were hitting the circuit, we wanted there to be more spaces. Like I'm thinking like Andrew O'Neill started up the Troy Club, which was really experimental and mad and wonderful. But I think that there were always... There was never like a total absence of them. There were things going on, but I do feel like there were a bunch of us who were quite on it with it and quite together. 
And I think that's happened again the last couple of years. I think with like the weirdos and with um, there's a group of people kind of uh, I think of like Lolly Adafopi and Emma CD and all of that lot. And I feel like there is like a new generation that are similarly doing that. The last couple of years, I've really noticed that. So I I sort of think it it, it is true, but it's not the whole story of it. Like it's not that there was nothing around and we were like doing anything special. It was just that some of us were really trying and I think it genuinely had an effect in some way. Can I ask you as well about, um, as a technical thing, I mean a very, very strict definition of stand-up would probably go, that's not stand-up, she's got a pen and paper. <laughs> well, what was the thing, I mean it's a performance tool, how did it work? Um, so I would hold it next to me. I, it was good for me because it just gave me something to play off and... And I liked it because it made it bigger than what it was. I told it next. I can't remember what this bit was. Just the thought of something. <laughs> I actually don't know what it was. That's bad. This is a bit about a goth in a suit. I just think it helped illustrate what I was doing. And I think the aesthetic of the pictures adds to what I was talking about. The drawings are a section. In that, <laughs> in that kind of naive yeah. style of cartooning. Thank you. I, uh, yeah, I managed to sort of persuade the newspaper to let, let me make some cartoons for them for a while and I actually can't believe I feel like I conned them <laughs> so this is four mini ones this is like seeing an abandoned bath on the street the Sharon fruit walking along and reading and people who dress like it's the 50s <laughs> but then it was a joke because these were haiku abandoned Sharon walking and reading dressed like the 1950s and I liked it because it was just a silly fun thing to do but then a few years later a few people started doing haikus on stage and I was like Get your own thing. Could, could I just say on that, actually? Because in a way, that's quite an interesting technique because in a way, your style is naive and homemade and it's about passion and sort of going, not going, I'm amazing, but I'm a bit rough and ready, but you, you hopefully you'll like that. Yeah. But what's interesting about that is it, they go, oh, she's done some more drawings, and then you go, ah, ha, 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 yeah, something yeah. else. I'm actually quite clever. Ha! But it's not clever. It's just, like, bonuses. But also, I think... But it's, it's just I've talked to performers before who, who have a rough aesthetic, and they go, what we do is we put something clever in just to show people this isn't happening by accident. Oh, oh see, I don't think I... I don't think I do that pointedly. I think I do that because it delights me to put a puzzle in it, and I think it's interesting to make it have layers. And I also think... It's very... I like lulling people into a full sense of security. I like the fact that people think I'm stupid and then and disorganised and then by the end somehow they're really caught up in it. It's like when I meet a posh person and I'm talking to them and they look at me in a certain way and then they find out I went to Oxford and they're like, oh! And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, mate, you don't know me, you don't know shit about me. Like, <laughs> I think it's useful to have things hidden. So this bit is a bit that I'd written in Japanese. I can't remember what it means. I think it means something like, hello, have a biscuit. I was like, it's something really stupid. But there's a bit about that. This is a... Um, so a lot of this was a little bit feeling like an outsider. So there's a Venn diagram about things I like and things everyone likes. So I don't like football and I don't like sex in the city. And what I like is word games and putting a cup of tea in my eyes. And the reason I did that is I think I was still in this phase where I really wanted to mark myself out as like sensitive, bookish, liking indie music, liking creative stuff. And I think one of the reasons I wanted to do that was because with this show I wanted to meet people and find friends. There's something quite organic there. There's something quite... You try to make an authentic exchange or an encounter between you and an audience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
I think I, what I want is to feel like there's been a humane and personal connection between people. So it's not just you monetizing your personality. <laughs> do you know what I mean? To, to, to create this this thing that you can sell my act now. No, it's about wanting to meet. Like with my first tour, I wanted to meet creative people from around the country and get to find out who was writing good zines and stuff like that. Oh, uh, see a zine, uh, see a thing, love that thing, make own rubbish version of the thing. Like that's <laughs> basically my style. And then this has got um, these are some articles that I talked about on stage as well. The girl who woke up on a crane was one of them. I can't remember what this one was. Oh, there was an explosion at a fireworks factory, but I think I didn't ever use that one. Oh yeah, there was a blaze at sweets factory. Oh, the gentleman car thief. This guy, what he would do is he'd steal a car, clean it, valet it perfectly, and then put it back. He couldn't stop himself, but he died. Oh my God. Yeah, no, it was really sad. When I used to do comedy, I used to have props a bit, bit like this. And my constant fear was leaving them behind or breaking them all. Did you have that same paranoia? Yeah, and I, I did have to redraw it. Once I did Stage it, door announcement. Can Laura from Housekeeping contact Stage Door? No. Laura from Housekeeping, please contact Stage, stage Door. There's no way she can. Bad luck. <laughs> um, yeah, I did lose it once, and I had to redraw everything oh. in Biro really quickly. Or, or it wasn't this show, it was another show. Mm. I lost... I didn't lose this book, but I once forgot it. Yeah, I've had that. It's a nightmare. I've had it where I've forgotten the show, and I've just had to go, like... We'll see how it goes. Yeah. And at a certain point, you put this to one side. I mean, not literally this book, because obviously you wrote a different show, but what I mean is you put this technique to one side. Yes. I Ladies did. and gentlemen of the Pride and Prejudice Company, this is your half-hour call. You have 30 minutes. This is your half-hour call. Thank you. Fuck Pride and Prejudice. Fuck Jane Austen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm just looking through this. It's weird for me to be looking at this again because it's 10 years old and I gave it to the archives a few years ago and even then I wasn't looking through it. So I'm just sort of seeing things that used to be in my shows or maybe aren't anymore. I can't remember. Um, I've got distracted. What were we talking about? I was just saying, were you f- fearful about losing it? And, oh, oh no, why did, no, sorry, why did you drop it? Why did you, oh. why did you lose the pad? Why did you start not doing things with the pad? It was partly laziness because I did four shows where I had props with me and I toured them. And the first one was just the pad and it was quite relatively small, so it wasn't too much of a pain in the arse. The second show was a PowerPoint presentation that was photos and a pad. The third show was the photos and a pad and all these props. And the fourth show was, again, a presentation of a pad. And I I just got really annoyed having to drag them about and do a sound check and prep it. And I just, and I also wanted to see if I could do a stand-up show. Like, I was worried that I was just hiding behind these and I wasn't a proper stand-up. And then I ended up doing a stand-up show with nothing. There were a couple of cards on the floor for just to break it up. But um, on the whole, nothing. And I enjoyed it. And I ended up doing that show. And I did another show that had two props that were just some flowers on the side of the stage. And then I did a show where I had literally nothing on the stage. And this last show I've done has, has got a set, but nothing on stage. And I, yeah, I sort of enjoyed... I just felt like that was more of an experiment for me. And I wanted to develop in that way. And also, I think you get bored of people telling you what you are and telling you what you do. So I think for a while, people were like, oh, you do this. So I was like, do what? No. <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> and, another thing is, what I like about this object is it's got battle scars <laughs> from, from, from a lot of use. Mm. 
But also, coming back to it, it's interesting that you say, I don't remember what this bit was. No. Because that's an interesting thing about where stand-up comedy material exists. In, in, in a play, you've got the text in a book, and it's yeah. done so you can understand it, somebody else could come along and do it. Yeah. But in stand-up, even you, the person who created this, what, oh, beyond God. a certain time, that material is just abstract. Yeah, and it changed every night a little bit, you know, just the odd words as well. The old bits of improv. I can remember bits. I'm frustrated. I can't remember all of it. I think if I were to sit down and look at the notes, I could do a performance of it. But there's a bit... The interesting thing is I really, really am starting to understand when you go, it was a different time. Because there was, there's, there's two bits in it that I used to do that I would never do on stage now that I think are offensive and unthinkable. And one of them was about cutting my hair in the style that my friend described as unisex retard. Which I think at the time I was like, she called me that and like I'm obviously doing that with a, like a tongue-in-cheekness to it. Now I just think, oh my God, the whole thought of that makes me feel like, ugh, who would ever say that? And then there was another bit that I just think, oh God, I would never say that. I can't remember what it was, but I was like, so embarrassed that, that in 2006, that to me, as somebody who thought they were like a liberal person, seemed acceptable. Oh, the couple... This is about a couple I saw playing paper, scissors, stone on the tube, which was most romantic. And they just went straight into it without announcing it. Was that part of it? They just started without yeah. saying. Yeah, they did it. They didn't even say a word. <laughs> I was like, "That is love." Oh, women, who, old ladies who wear wigs over their grey hair. When and you can see the hair of mm. And then young men who wear t-shirts with wolves on. Now, of course, probably I'd think that they were a Nazi on the internet, so I wouldn't trust yeah. them. Or it was ironic. Oh, the worst. <laughs> One of the things that's lovely about getting things from the archive <laughs> is the delicious mystery. We found <laughs> this. Oh, do you know what that's from? This is just a, for the benefit of this being an audio thing. It's a plastic, sort of pink star. I'll tell you what that's from. That's from my third show, which is called All of the Planet's Wonders, brackets shown in detail, close brackets. And on it, on some of the stuff I had for it, I'd stuck these stars, which are like glow-in-the-dark stars, because I think with the pad or with the things, I wanted to put them down, and then when the lights went down, there would be a bit of flare on it. Oh, it's really nice to look at this, but it's really weird because it's, it was my first show and I was 24 and I didn't have a clue what would happen or how things would pan out and it's mad. And like in lots of ways, like I'm really happy with how everything is and how it's gone, but at the same time, like, God, I really wish I could go back and like ward myself off some of the things. <laughs> it's mad it's a totally different time in my life in a way All the Planets Wonders was, was partly uh, about archiving really wasn't it it's about yeah. museums and things and curating yeah 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 because yeah. um, in, in our first episode we've got the orange ladies and gentlemen the Pride and Prejudice huh. Casting Company the house is now open please sit across the stage what the one in the book the house is now open for show number one that's amazing and there are 815 people watching on all three levels this evening thank you they're just showing off because there's only about 130 people watching one. <laughs> <laughs> I know which show's got the quality. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Like, I'm very, very honoured and very shocked and proud that you guys would be the slightest bit interested in this. I tell you what, when I saw the stuff when, after it arrived and I saw that pad, <laughs> I went, oh my God, that's, to me that's a touchstone because it's like, that's, it's like one of my favourite comedians and that's the first time I saw oh them. So I was God, like, I knew amazing. what it was instantly. But, but uh, the, the, the one thing I thought we could perhaps finish on is 
the, the, the one with the guy with the wolf t-shirt and the old yeah. lady with the wig on. See, I think that there's a thing that a lot of people say about stand-up that is that if you if you're writing really good material, it's nobody else could nick that. Yeah. And I think that's true of that. That's it's just to me that that that, that to see that as funny, and to be able to communicate that as huh. funny, and to see the joy in it is something that is absolutely you. I mean, that's very kind, but I don't know. I feel like I have probably more of a shared sensibility with people slightly younger than me than with people slightly older than me. I probably could think of about 10 comedians, at least, who I could imagine writing something very similar to that now. So I don't know. But I'm very grateful that that's how it would feel. Like, I do like to think that I just try and do my own thing. Uh, do you think you've influenced other people who've come after you? Do you know, like, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but I think I have a little bit. But I think it's partly because I think I tried to be friendly to young people that came to my shows, maybe. So a lot of the time, if you want to be a comedian, you go and see a lot of comedy and you talk to people and stuff. So you try and talk to people about it. Um, and I also ran a lot of gigs, so I would always try and put on new comedians at my gigs. But at the same time, no, I don't know. I think I, probably not not as much as I would like. But I I would like to think that I have because uh, that would be very nice. Um, yeah, it's funny. I feel like I want to watch the old show now. But yeah. Yeah, anyway, sorry. No, that's fine. Um, I have to say that I, that I always show bits of your work in lectures. Oh students, my gosh, that's amazing. And they really like it thank you oh it's they so do they, it, it really too tender <laughs> no it's an inspiration and what's nice about it is because you have that thing of you can do this you can just do this yourself you can you can sort of put it you can have an idea and you can just do it yeah and it doesn't matter if the drawing isn't technically good you can still do that i think that's a really positive message to give to young people who have so much pressure on doing things perfectly yeah and i do think that in that way like a lot of my work is about enabling people and trying to get people to do their own thing and trying to get people to feel empowered or hopeful my work but that is what i want to pass on to people so So, uh, that was the interview and I love the fact that it ends with her making a little noise at the end of her sentence she goes (laughs) like that i think that's that's a great little edit point (laughs) Now, uh, just to finish off the episode, we've got a load of the material from uh, the archive relating to kindness and exuberance here. What have we got? Um, so actually from a lot of Jace's, the, the, the stuff that Josie gave us, we've got kind of nice little subsections relating to each of our shows. So we do have some kind of complementary material for this show, which is nice. So the, this episode was looking at... Um, it's a notebook, like a not a notebook, like an art drawing pad, really, which JC used for her um, show. It's kind of A2 in size. As she mentioned, the, the front cover has come away, unfortunately. It, and that had happened by the time we got it. It had, yes, yeah. yes. It definitely Because we don't tear covers <laughs> off things. No. Also, I, I noticed on the cover, special offer, yeah. £10.50 RRP, now mm. £7.95. Bit of a bargain. I recognise these stickers. They're from an art... Are they from, like, Cass Art? Do you know those shops? I don't. Other art shops are available. Yeah. I feel like it was purchased from Cass Art. There we um, go. At bargain price. Um, so we have the notepad, but we also have... Oh, sorry, it's not a notepad. It's like an art Like an art pad. pad. Yeah. yeah. But we also have Suitable other... for line and wash, it says on the front. It does, yeah. So there we go. Oh, well, and I um, reassigned the the star that you mentioned. So in, yes. the, in the interview, Josie was talking about a little bow-in-the-dark star. Yes. 
and I now know which show that is for, which is not Kindness and Exuberance. No, that's so right. It can and be actually, kind of reassigned within, yeah. the, within the archive. And actually, that's one of the value, that's part of the value of doing these type of interviews for the podcast because it helps to tell us more about the material that's been deposited so that we can you know catalogue it better yeah. yeah and in fact we, I went with that specific query in mind <laughs> if you remember so yeah, yeah. no it is, it's always useful because I think we're quite lucky because when we were collecting a lot of the stand-up comedy material we were in contact with the depositors quite a lot so we could always go back and ask follow-up questions yeah. about where this flyer was from or what, what this script or set notes were from because sometimes as we've discussed in a, a previous episode it's quite hard if you're not the person who's written the set list yes. it might not make sense to anyone Absolutely. else and we often found that when we were um, arranging and cataloguing the material but for this Kindness, Kindness and Exuberance show which was 2006 we've got supplementary material so we've got we've got some kind of set list and Ooh. And sort of notes. Yeah, as you know I'm always intrigued by that kind of yes. stuff so before on an episode we've looked at Joseph's sort of spider diagram um, set lists, but this is more more traditional form, really. Um, so we've got set lists, scripts, notes from two shows. So they're slightly different, but you can see the similarities in them as well. And, and they're, they're both they're two performances of that show, though. Yes, yeah. So one, I'm not sure where the first one is from. There isn't um, there isn't a name for the performance. The second one was performed at the Reindeer. Oh, okay. Familiar with the reindeer? I am not. No, I'm not either. I'm <laughs> um, and then we've also got some some stickers, which I think did you go to the show? I did go to the show. Did, yeah. I saw it at the Horsebridge in Whitstable. Some stickers, which I believe were handed out at the show, or maybe not at your show, but at. I at some honestly point can't remember. It's too long ago. In the show. So kind of well done stickers for audience members. So you kind of got a, a sheet bit like the orange stickers. that we had in our first episode. Yeah, yes. Something that, that the comedian gives to audience members as a gift. Yes. So this this first sheet is kind of half half empty of stickers because they've all been handed given out. out. So that's nice. Um, we've also got kind of promotional material. We've got flyers. Um, I love the look of the flyer. Slightly different designs actually. So we've got a Melbourne show because obviously in two thousand and seven, right. Josie toured this in Melbourne. So okay. We've got a flyer for that show. Yeah. And we've got the original Edinburgh show. And we've got a poster like the Melbourne one do, with yes. a big sticker on it saying "If Dot Comedies." Which, uh, just to explain that reference, there used to be a thing the Perrier Award, which was very well known, and I think it was started in the early eighties. I think Stephen Fry was part of the uh, Footlights Review, uh, which which won, and Emma Thompson as well, which won. And various other people, which, which which won the very first one, I think. Um, but uh, after a long while, Perrier pulled out as the sponsor. For a short time, it was sponsored by Intelligent Finance, hence if.com. So it's like intelligentfinance.com. And then they made it into comedies, um, right? Like Puntastic. And it's now just called the Edinburgh Comedy Award, okay. which is probably the best name for <laughs> it so. anyway. Um, well, I love about this um the the flyer for her edinburgh show has a little review on it which yeah. i think is slightly harsh um because on the interview she was talking about cartooning yeah but their review is a terrible cartoonist but enchanting stand-up she is an enchanting stand-up but i think she's a great cartoonist as well so. i agree i agree i think i think the thing is it's about naive style i mm. think there's some brilliant cartoonists who draw in a sort of simple childish style and i think that's part of the charm for me yeah um, and then we also have, similar to the first, um, what we were talking about earlier with the 
what does she call it? A showgram for her latest show. We've got yeah. similar kind of little magazines. What we don't have is her showgram. I don't think she called it that at the time for this show. Right. But it's on her on her website. So, so go and look it up on showcelong.com, I think um, is the address. Yes, and actually when I was when we were working on the the stand up comedy project full time, we worked with the UK Web Archive at the British Library and one of the sites we nominated was Josie's. So it should be saved and archived as it's being updated. So, again, so the, the point of that project that. was to archive websites so they don't yeah. disappear even if yeah. the, the person whose website it is takes it down. Yep, yeah, it's an ongoing part of the British Library's collecting. So Fabulous. Yes. Yeah, oh, cool one other thing I spot over there that we've got is the copy of the Guardian Guide section, which has the um, article that I think I referred to in the interview yes. about DIY comedy. This is from 2007, I think. Yeah, August... Um, 2007 and, and again this is available on the Guardian's website yeah. but we do yeah we do have the the copy of the guide and it's nice and it it, 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 it what what's interesting is it sort of identifies this distinct group of comedians uh, I mean I, th- I think not all of them were necessarily in agreement that they should be part of that group but it sort of names a bunch of acts um, should we see who's on the list yeah so, oh yeah, that's, well actually it's within the context of the article it names various different people, but Josie's top tips for Edinburgh that year included Issy Sooty and Luke Roberts and Nadia Camille and uh, Pappy's Fun Club, as they were at the time, they're now Pappy's, so yeah. I was just looking for the bit where others are named, but... So oh Robin yeah, it, yes, it mentions yeah. Robin Ince's book club and Terry Saunders' Laughter in Odd Places... Also mentions Will Hodgson. I think Will didn't particularly feel like he was part of that group, um, but but it's an interesting article. I mean, I think I think that was a really significant article actually um, in sort of identifying a kind of school of stand up, if you like, or, or it's not not just stand up, but school of live comedy, which hadn't you know it, it wasn't that. For me, it was one of the first sort of identifiable groups since alternative comedy started. So, yeah, there we go. Josie Long's drawing pad, one of my favourite items in the archive, Uh, not least because I I am, as I said in the interview, a big fan of hers. And it was from the first show that I saw her do. So as soon as I saw it, when it was deposited, I recognised its value. Anyway, this podcast isn't just about us telling you things. It's also about you getting directly involved. And there are various ways in which you can get involved. Get involved! There are many ways that you can get involved. But firstly, you'll need to know how you can contact us. You can email us via standup at kent.ac.uk. That's stand-up, all one word, no hyphen. Or you can contact us via Twitter, where um, our handle is at histcompod. Yeah. It's, it's very tricky to say, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, histcompod, <laughs> all in one word. We're also on Facebook. So the, the first way you can get involved, this is the vanilla way of getting involved, is go to the catalogue, find a listing for a comedy object and nominate it. And then we'll talk about nominated objects in, f- in a future episode. The chocolate chip version of getting involved is to... Um, Come into the Stand Up Comedy Archive, Special Collections and Archives at the Templeman Library at the University of Kent. Um, you can find material via our online catalogue um, and come in and look at look at material firsthand yourself. And then you can, if you record some audio, we'll use it in a future episode. 
And the final and stupidest way of getting involved is uh, if you like our theme tune, you can record your own cover version of it, send it in to us, and we'll use all the ones we like in future episodes. Uh, anyway, that's, that's uh, the end of this episode. We'll see you next time for another thrilling instalment of A History of Comedy in Several Objects. A History of Comedy in Several Objects is devised and presented by Dr. Oliver Double and Elspeth Miller for the British Stand-Up Comedy Archive, brought to you by the University of Kent. This is made possible by the University of Kent's Public Engagement Research Fund. Photography by Matt Wilson and editing and production by Matt Hulse.